Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, this series has been called Welcome Home. And many of you used to know, I used to say every big day we had, whether it was Mother's Day or Father's Day or Easter, you know, you get the people that just come at Christmas and Easter. You know what I'm talking about? We call them creasters. And, and they would come then and, and I would always say this, I don't ever want you to feel bad. Welcome home. And then people would say, Pastor, I overslept. I'd go, look, if you get 10 minutes of the service, it's better than getting no minutes. So welcome home. Well, we began this series on the backside of Easter with so many people, about 50% of the congregation that was with us before COVID, 50% of them never came back, never came back. Some out of fear, some out of things that people posted, Trump versus BLM. And the enemy is a divider. Listen, if you want to know if something's of God or not, if it's based out of fear and if it's divisive, you don't have to worry about who it comes from. The devil has been using that ever since the garden when he lied to Eve to divide her from God and from the covering of her husband. And then the same thing when their first two children, one of them killed the other one. But today, in this series, Welcome Home, I know that every family has its own uniquenesses. How many of you know every family has its own uniquenesses? How many of you know we all got relatives we can't introduce, we have to explain? (laughs) Like, why does Aunt Aunt T.T. have a goatee? Well, we'll explain that later. We'll explain that later. And every family has its own uniquenesses, and my family's no different. So there are some uniquenesses about my family that, that I want to just show you. Let me just show you first, first picture. Got my first picture up? There we go. This is the table at my house. And it is actually, when we, when we got this property, when Mr. Stuller bought it for us 30 years ago, um, we begin, we're building a campground out here and we were going into St. Martinville and right on the left-hand side is Terrace Woodworks. How many of you know where that is? And there's an older gentleman who would take, you could choose cypress wood and he would make you a table or something. And so Michelle went in and she chose that wood that was almost 30 years ago and he built that table that weighs 700 pounds. I want to make sure, I'm a Mexican, I have a fear of people stealing stuff. They're going to take a football team to steal that table. And, and he made that, and we've had that table ever since. It seats 12, and on Sunday, uh, today, after church, all my family will be there. My future daughter-in-laws, my daughter-in-laws, John Wesley, our youngest grandson, Joseph's son, all will be around that table eating. But as you can see, at the end of the table, there is a chair that's different than the other chairs. You see the chairs on the side, left and right, are made out of wood. That is, go back to, go, go, go to that ta- chair. You can go to it. See that chair? Guess whose chair that is? Guess who's, come on, man. Guess whose chair that is? Michelle. Who said Michelle? I'm sorry your wife made you sit in a wood chair. 
Okay, that's my chair. And it's interesting because, you know, my children always have people over and we always have staff and, uh, you know, college students, high school students at my house. And so sometimes I'll come walking in the house and I'll look and there'll be someone who doesn't know. And they're seated in my chair and I come walking in and the kids just go. I walked in the other day and Joseph was sitting in that chair. I said, son, you want to sit there? The house payment goes with that. She goes, no, daddy, I'm good. I'm I'm good. I'm good. And he jumped up and he moved over. And that's one of the, you know, how many got a chair, your chair? Come on, raise your hand. You got your chair. It's your chair. You pay for the house note, your, your last name, all the bills come to. You could have your own chair. Okay. And then I have this chair. This is... This is my coffee chair. In the morning, Michelle and I sit down. We have coffee together. I lay my Bible right there where that cup is. And I sit down there. And sometimes I walk in and one of their friends is sitting in the chair. And I can walk in there going, get, get up out the chair. <laughs> Why? It's my, get, get, just, I'll explain later. Get out the chair. <laughs> okay. And then next to that is my coffee cup. Look at that. <laughs> you know where that cup came from? I bought it for myself to encourage myself. That's not true. That's not true. That cup came. Michelle bought me that cup. Mine says, good morning, handsome. Hers says, good morning, gorgeous. And the first thing we do every morning, I'm up praying. And then she wakes up a little later. And then we sit down and, and we have coffee together and pray and read our Bibles and talk a little bit, discuss the day, and then head out about our day. Those are the uniquenesses of my family. So you you don't come, you don't sit in my chair, okay, at the table. You don't sit in my recliner there. You don't sit in in my chair there, my coffee chair, and you don't drink out of my coffee cup. Those are things in my family that everybody knows. So let me ask, how many of you men, you got your own chair? Come on, raise your hand. All right. The rest of you, grow up. All right, get a little masculinity. Go get a testosterone shot. Fucking in my chair. Okay, how many got your own coffee cup? It's your cup, raise your hand. Okay, a little, some of you are a little braver about your cup, all right? That's a good start. It's not as good as a chair, but it is a good start. So you, you, you don't do that, and anybody who walks in just knows that. It's, it's just what it's like in my home. But God's house also has some non-negotiables. They're spelled out right here in this book. I didn't create them. They're not OSC rules. There's God's rules that we've applied to our church because it is his church, not ours. It's his church and not ours. So pastor, what are those non-negotiables? What are the non-negotiables if you're going to be a part of the family of God? I want to share four of them with you that are very powerful. And they're non-negotiables if you want to be a part of God's family. We want you. We want this to be your spiritual home. But in order for that to happen, these four non-negotiables have to be present in your life. Number one, non-negotiable. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Do you know the first message that was ever preached after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? And and let me help you. When Jesus rose from the dead, 
he continued appearing for the next 40 days. And he appeared to a number of people. As a matter of fact, if you actually read the book of Corinthians, you discover, and through church history, that Jesus' brothers and sisters didn't even believe he was the Son of God. They weren't converted till after the resurrection when he appeared to them. And so now, here, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God uses the most unlikely person in the world to preach the first sermon. The first church service was preached by someone who 40 days before had denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Three times. What was his name? His name was Simon Peter. His name was Simon. Jesus changed his name to Peter. Simon Peter. And on that day, the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, he stands up and his audience is the people that were in the crowd when Pilate said, shall we let go of Jesus, the king of the Jews, or shall we let go of a murderer? Which one should we free? And they began to yell out when Jesus' name came up, crucify him, crucify him. That's the same crowd. And now, Peter, who was just as wrong as they were 40 days before, stands up, and this is his message in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel recognize beyond any doubt that God has made Jesus both, say both, and Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. This Jesus who you crucified. And now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart with remorse and anxiety. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? And Peter said, repent, change your old way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways, accept and follow Jesus as the Messiah and be baptized each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins. Do you notice that repentance comes before forgiveness? Many has come to Jesus because we want to be forgiven, but he doesn't forgive sin. He only forgives repentant sin. The word repent means to see, to hate, and to turn away. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I know this is kind of a loaded question because I know you're Cajuns. Anybody here ever been drunk? Okay. Be seated if you've been drunk. All right, I got you. Has anyone ever woke up the next morning and went, oh, I'm never drinking again. You were worshiping at that porcelain altar. Anybody ever woke up the next morning and said, I'm never doing that again? Raise your hand. Let me ask you a question. Did you go back and do it? Because being sorry is not enough. You must repent. And the word repent is a Greek word, metanoia. It means to see, to hate, and to turn away. It means I'm going this way, and all of a sudden I realize, man, I want to go towards Houston. I'm going to New Orleans. And I turn around, and then I begin going the opposite direction. Repentance is not only seeing what you've done that's wrong, but it's hating it and then turning away from it. If you get drunk every night, ask God to forgive you and go to, because you're going to go and get drunk tomorrow night, God's not forgiving you. You've never repented. 
You're not sorry for what you've done to God, others, and yourself. You're sorry for the consequences you're experiencing. So he says this, repent and change your own way of thinking from your sinful ways and accept and follow Jesus the Messiah and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now there's a little controversy and I just just dispel this since I'm using this scripture. Sometimes people go, Pastor, should you be baptized in the name of Jesus or should you be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus himself said, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we cover all bases here. We do everything in the name of Jesus. When you eat, how many of you pray? You eat in the name of Jesus. How many before you play a game, you pray? Raise your hand. Okay. How many before you drive, you pray? Some of you need to be praying before you drive. Okay. So we say in the name of Jesus, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So don't let anybody confuse you. We got you covered on both sides. Thank you, Pastor Gabe. But I've heard some people sincerely say this. They mean this sincerely. Pastor, Jesus is my savior and one day I'm gonna give him everything and make him my Lord. Peter tells us in the first message ever preached that Peter didn't make him Lord, the people didn't make him Lord, that God made him both Lord and Christ. You can't separate them one from the other. No more than you can separate forgiveness from repentance. You didn't make him Lord, and I didn't make him Lord. God made him Lord. God made him Lord. His saviorhood cannot be separated from his lordship. Paul stated it like this in Philippians chapter two. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above Every name, that at the name of every knee should bow in and 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 every tongue should confess that not Jesus is Savior, Jesus is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father. God exalted him, God gave him a name above every name, and one day every knee will bow. Either you can bow and he can become your Lord and Savior now, or you can do it when you are in hell. Because one day even all of hell is going to bow. Don't get upset when your people go, I'll never say that I believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of if you're going to say it, it's simply when and where you're going to say it. You'll say it here, you'll say it on your deathbed, or you'll literally say it in hell. There is a real hell. Don't let people lie to you. There is a real hell. You say, Pastor, what? You, you say that like, like you're happy that some, let, let me tell you this. I believe it breaks the heart of God and the heart of every Christian for anyone that goes to hell. But God has never sent one person to hell. If you go to hell, 
You've rejected every prayer that's been prayed over you, every sermon that's ever been preached to you, every Bible pamphlet you ever saw, every Christian clip or invitation you saw on social media or TV or Facebook or Instagram or a cousin that you knew or a wedding you went to or a funeral that you went to when something tugged at your heart. If you resist all of that, God didn't send you to hell. You chose to go regardless of all the things that he did to save you from yourself. You know what hell is? Hell is simply the only place that God is not. The Bible tells us that God is love, that God is light, and that God is life. And if you take away love, what do you have? If you take away light, what do you have? And when you look at what hell is, it's simply a place where there is no light and there is no life and there is darkness forever. And for people that don't want God in their life when they die, God answers their prayer. The Bible makes it very plain. It is God's will that none should perish. Listen, Jesus died such a horrific death on the cross so that all of history would know God would rather die than live without you. Jesus is Lord. What is lordship, pastor? What is lordship? Let let me me explain to you what lordship is. I have have a large library and Pastor Gabe had met there and met me there in in my library. And imagine Pastor Gabe was was looking through the books in my library and he looked down and he found this book and he goes, Pastor, could, could, could I have that book? And I said, well, sure, Pastor Gabe. And I gave him the book, an old book. And about two weeks later, I'm going through my library and I find another page from the book that had fallen out. And so I send it to him and I go, Pastor Gabe, I, I gave you the book. I thought I gave you all the book that I had, but, but I found another page this week. Here it is. And then a week later, I'm going through and I find another page. Did I lie to him? No. I gave him all of the book that I knew. Lordship is giving all you know of you to all you know of God. And you know what? That's progressive. That's what the word sanctification means. It means to be set apart. God progressively sets you apart. When I gave my life to Jesus, boom, the desire for drugs left. Boom, the desire to live immorally. Not temptation, but the desire, it left. You know what the hardest thing was for me to give up when I gave my life to Jesus? Smoking cigarettes. Thank you for that confession. You you ever try to, how many ever smoked cigarettes before? Raise your hand. Fire on one end, a fool on the other. Come on, we all remember. And, and, And when you give up, I would get around people that were smoking and they would just be going, and you start going, get a little nose hit. Like, like your, your, your mouth starts salivating. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. I, I, it was so hard. But a couple of weeks, three weeks, a month into my born again experience, God took that desire away. And you know what? Then, then he took away the, the hurt that I had for my parents and I forgave them. God loves you enough to know that he can't take everything out of you the moment you're born again or you'll be overwhelmed. So what he does is he takes the big things away immediately and then he begins day by day 
Paul says it like this, I die daily. John said it like this, I must decrease that he might increase. That's why the Bible calls us infants. An infant has different expectations than a toddler. A toddler has different expectations than a child. A child has different expectations than an adolescent. An adolescent has different expectations than adults. But it is a progression. Lordship is continually giving all I know of me to all I know of God. Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord of this church. He's the Lord of my life. And he should be the Lord of your life for you to be a part of his church. Not just this one, any church. Jesus is Lord. Secondly, God is in charge of the checkbook. Ooh. Folks just squirmed. Debit cards started shaking in people's legs right now. <laughs> but I'm always amazed when people go, all churches want is your money. What do you think Amazon wants? Your friendship? <laughs> you, you think they're just bombarding you like, what's up? Go Tigers, go Cage. <laughs> they don't care. The same people to get all that church that want his money. They don't have any fear walking up into the mall. All these stores wanted my money. That's what, look at them. Look at them. That's why they're putting things out there. They changed their styles to get my money. That's all they want. What did Jesus say in regards to money and its power? We all know the scripture the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money. It's the love of money. It's the love of money. Listen to what Jesus said speaking about money in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Read it with me. First two words. Say it loud. Okay, so let me help you and tell you. I've studied the Greek, and you know what no one means? No one. Just thought you'd want to know. No one can serve two masters. Now remember, Jesus is speaking during a time of slavery where someone actually, you, the reason that Jesus didn't speak a lot against biblical slavery is because biblical slavery is much different than modern day slavery as we knew it. Biblical slavery is you either born a slave or you owed someone money. So instead of filing bankruptcy, you served them for seven years. When you served them for seven years, their motive to treat you well was that if they treated you so good, you would want to stay with them even after the seven years. And you would no longer be a servant because you were in debt, but you would be a servant out of love. That's called a doulos. It was a love slave. So Jesus is speaking and he says, no one can serve two masters. In other words, you can't have somebody that's a slave owned by two people. For either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and... Now listen to what his conclusion is. You cannot serve and... Who is mammon? Money, possessions, fame, status, whatever is valued more than the Lord. More than the Lord. You can't be owned by two masters. What is the mammon that he's speaking of? What is that? What does mammon mean? Mammon was the God of greed. There were many different gods 
and you would sacrifice to those gods to get what you wanted from them. The God of possessions and greed and money was named. The word me in the Hebrew means from and Hammon means accumulation. So he's saying, either you're going to worship me or you're going to worship what you've accumulated. You can't serve them both. You can't serve them both. What is God's plan to keep mammon's power in check in our heart? What is God's plan? Can I tell you what it is? What is it? Say it loud. Tithing is giving God what? No, it's not. It's not 10%. It's the first 10%. Tithing is not you giving 10% of your income. It's you giving the first 10%. Now, and the other services, when I preached this message, I had Joseph sitting on the front row. And before service, I would look over at Joseph and I would hand him something. And then when I was preaching, I'd say, is there anybody here that will give me $100? And Joseph would jump up and hand me a $100 bill. And I would stop and tell the church, you just witnessed a miracle from God. <laughs> Joseph has never given me $100 ever. Video this. And then I would say, you know why he so freely gave it to me? I gave it to him first. If you believe God gave it to you, it's easy for you to give it back to him first. This, listen to me. There is nothing wrong with you having things, but there's a lot wrong with things having you. There's nothing wrong with you having money, but there's a lot wrong with money having you. There's nothing wrong with you having a camp or a nice house or whatever it is that the dream has been in your heart that God would bless you with. But there's a whole lot wrong with you finding your identity and your security in the accumulation of my stuff. There is. So he says, tithe is that. Listen to what he says about tithe in Malachi 3.10. Read it with me. Bring all the tithes, the tenth, into the storehouse. That's the place where you're fed spiritually. That's church. So that there can be food in my house. Test me now in this. Do you know that the Bible only says one time in all the Bible that we can test God? Only once. And you know what it's with? Our money. Now, I'm glad that I'm at this campus because I can tell you stories of people that are at the other campuses that aren't here. <laughs> Do we have any golfers here? Raise your hand if you're a golfer. Raise your hand if you know what golf is. <laughs> Raise your hand if you own golf clubs. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever swung a golf club. Raise your hand. Not at a family member. Raise your hand. <laughs> Does anyone today know who the number one golfer in the world is? What's his name? Anybody know? Say it loud. Scotty Scheffler is. 15 months ago, Scotty Scheffler had not won one major tournament. And a Christian man of God who was a caddy for 15 years for Bubba Watson won two Masters 
was one of the top caddies in the PGA Tour. The caddy is not a cat. It's the guy that carries like, like your golf clubs and tells you and advises you what to do. That cat is in the Opelousas campus. His name's Ted Scott. He's a man of God. When we started the campus, he came right, wrong, not long after that. And he came to Pastor Eugene after the first service and he said, I want to talk to you. He said, okay. He said, I got a problem with tithing. Of course, most people in this region have never really been taught that growing up. So he said, okay, what's the problem? He goes, I don't think you should do it. He said, what do you mean? He goes, I think giving God 10% is the least you could do. That's where you start. He retired 15 months ago from catting one of the top golfers in modern day history, Bubba Watson. And when he did, he was going to just teach in Opelousas lessons. And Scotty Shuffler called him and said, look, I'm on the tour. I'm not winning. I know you were good for Bubba Watson. Could you help me? In the last 15 months, he's won more major tournaments than anybody since Hogan has won multiplied millions and millions of dollars and gives all the glory to the Lord and to Ted Scott, a man of God who tithes on every single thing that comes in. True. Don Mendoza, who started off at this campus, married right here. When I met Donald, he had six cars on a lot, six, eight cars. He was living in a trailer on Ambassador Caffrey behind his lot, had a hole this big in the center of the trailer. Not long after he came here, he got shot. It was Halloween 20 years ago, 21 years ago. How many remember that? He got shot. He and Danielle were not married then, and so uh, they were in the two-month grace period. Back then, I would tell people, if you were living together, you had two months, you had to stop having sex right away, and you had two months to move out, or I was going to throw you out of the church. We need to implement the two-month rule here again, Pastor Gabe. And so they were in that two-month period, which, by the way, Danielle will tell you, from the day I told them that, they didn't have sex from that day to the day they walked down this aisle three months later. That's the testimony she shares with her beautiful daughters and her son. And I remember when, when, when Donald got shot, his parents were there all the time. They were not Christians. And they would not allow her to go in, but they were afraid of me because I was a pastor. So I would go in with her. If she wanted to go see him, she'd call me and go, Pastor Jacob, can, can we go see Donald? I said, sure. So we'd go. I remember the first time we walked in, she said, Danielle, are you doing what I told you to do? She said, yes, I'm tithing 20% off of everything we make, just like you told me. Donald has 19 car dealerships. Don's Trucks was the car dealer of the year. And literally every year gives millions of dollars to the kingdom of God. 50% of the people that work for him came out of recovery and addiction. Because he never forgot where he came from. He's one of our trustees and one of our elders. You can't outgive God, but God will use tithing to show how much he can trust you with. Somebody came up to a pastor one time and said, Pastor, could you pray for me? He said, Well, he said, I got a problem tithing. 
He said, what's the problem? He said, I used to make $300 a week. And he said, I would write that $30 check. It was nothing. He said, now I make $3,000 a week. He said, I just can't bring myself to writing that $300 check. And the pastor said, okay, let me pray for you. Lord, bring him back to $300 a week. He says, test me now in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out on you such a great blessing. There is no room to receive it. Then I will rebuke the devourer, the insects, the plagues for your sake, and he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor will your vine in the field drop its grapes before harvest, says the Lord of hosts. God wants the first 10% because it says to him, God, I remember who it really belongs to. I remember who gave it to me. You ever see somebody rich die and people always ask the same question? Well, how much did they leave behind? And you know what the answer is? All of it. But the Bible tells us that we can send it in front of us. Jesus told us we could store up treasure in heaven. We can store up treasure in heaven. Here's the third family rule and principle. His word is the final authority. God's word is the final authority. God said it, that settles it. God's word is the final authority on all issues it speaks to. Marriage. If you're living together, you're in sin, repent. Repent. You're bringing a curse on your relationship. I love you. We'll marry you for free. I told a guy standing in my yard, he was doing some tree work, and and, and he says, "Uh, man, he said, I was at your church last week. We dedicated our baby. I said, well, how long have you been married? He said, I'm not married. I said, you're not married. Oh yeah, but but, but we're going to get married one day. I said, are you ashamed to give her your last name or do you just want a curse on your life? Which one is it? And he said, you're right, pastor. I've been living with anxiety. My wife told me I needed medication. I said, I'm under conviction. I just need to get married. I said, well, got a free church, a free pastor, and I'll marry you anywhere. What's the problem? He called me two days later. Pastor, I got the license. I married him two days later on a Sunday at the Lafayette campus. He had all of his family there. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction, for the error of restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in obedience and conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage. There used to be a bumper sticker many years ago and it used to say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. How many remember that bumper sticker? That bumper sticker was a lie, okay? God said it, that settles it whether you believe it or not. Everything the Bible says about homosexuality, the Bible's right, you and Momo and them are wrong. Everything the Bible says about marriage, 
God is right, everyone else is wrong. Everything God says about how you treat, whether you should forgive, God is right. People always often ask me and Pastor Gabe, what is your opinion? My opinion doesn't matter. The Bible says in Matthew 24, Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I preach by the word. I live by the word. I teach the word. And one day I'll stand before the word made flesh and he will judge me by my words. I'm trying, I'm doing the best I can. I don't know what it looks like. Here's the final one. Here's the final one. The cross is the only way into the family. Christianity is not a self-help program. This isn't a get your marriage better. The founder of our belief died on a cross. He doesn't promise you a life of ease and wonderful peace. He says, those that love me will love you. Those that hate me will hate you. Those that turned on me will turn on you. Listen to what Jesus says to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, remember, he's not talking to people that don't want to follow him. Disciples mean followers. Whoever, say it with me, whoever wants to be my Disciple, what? What's the next word? Must. Must, not an option. Number one, deny themselves. Number two, number three, follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever will lose their life for me will find it. What good would it do for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can someone give in exchange for their soul? What is he saying? He's saying, why in the world would you take something temporary and forfeit that which is eternal? There's nothing wrong with the temporary. God wants to bless you with more resources and you know what to do with so that you, till you know what to do with it. Build the kingdom of God, help people, help the poor, bring real change, bring transformation all in the name of Jesus. But for you and me, it begins at the cross. It begins at the cross. Christianity is about one thing, you dying to yourself so Christ can live inside of you. And that's why I said, if anyone wants to follow me, the first thing you gotta do is deny yourself. Isn't it amazing nobody has to teach you to be selfish? Anybody ever have that problem? What are you teaching your kids? Oh, how to think about themselves. How how to just, just be filled with themselves. That's our nature. Michelle's a gardener. She lives out in our garden and there's weeds that she's pulling all the time. Do you know how many weeds she planted? None. The dirt just has them. That's the same way it is with sin. You don't have to plan on being sinful or selfish. That's our nature. What you have to plan on is every day going to that cross and laying down your temper and laying down your unforgiveness and laying down your lust and laying down your pride and laying down your self-centeredness every single day. I have been a Christian 48 years and every day I have to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I come to the cross today. 
I know I've worn out Bible after Bible after Bible. I know I've preached to millions of people. I know I've led thousands and thousands of people to Christ. But every day, Jesus, you started off in the morning meeting your father, and I need to start off at the cross meeting the father. Wash my mind. Wash my heart. Help me to forgive, to let go. Help me not to become resentful by looking at the world and what people are doing to it. That's the cross. That's the cross. Ephesians 2.20 says this. I'm going to just quote it to you. We are, excuse me, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship, recreated in Christ to do good works he prepared in advance for us to do. Let me explain that. God has a plan and purpose for your life. And the moment you surrender to him, that GPS starts coming alive. If you're making your own way, then you're figuring it out on your own and you've yet to discover the God that made you and the purpose that he made you for. That's so easy for me to see. You know, I'm in Lafayette. My pastor told me when I was 19 years old to go to Northside High School to preach at a place he heard about in a little church right next door. They didn't say your wife is gonna be there. They didn't say your future ministry is gonna be there. They didn't say churches are gonna be there. They didn't say you're gonna be the first Mexican most people ever met there. You're gonna begin a new race of people to Mexicans. They didn't say any of that. I just came and I started preaching and kids started giving their lives to Christ. And God began opening up more doors. And as I look back now, 45 years later, all the people, all the churches, all the marriages, all the people have been delivered from drugs, all the people have been restored back to their family, all the people whose destiny have been changed. If I wouldn't have surrendered my life, you know what I'd probably be doing? Running Mexican restaurants. That's true. My parents were in the, my mom owned a bar, but before that they had Mexican restaurants. It'd be like, Welcome to Jacobo's Mexican restaurants. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Let me close with the final story. One of my dear friends, his name is Rick Bezet. He has the largest church in Arkansas, about 25,000 people at 20 locations. He went to LSU, grew up in Baton Rouge, and was a, going to be a pro golfer. He was on the semi-pro tour and got called into ministry and, and gave that up and started being trained at Bethany Church in Baton Rouge. On Mondays was his day off, and so he would always go down to the local golf course and see if he could get picked up in a foursome. Of course, he was a young kid. People wouldn't think he was very good, and he was very good. So one Monday morning, he goes by, and he he joins a foursome, and it's three businessmen, and there's one loud businessman, and every time he makes a bad shot, he just takes God's name in vain. You ever been around people like that? And every time it happened, man, this pastor, Pastor Rick, he was probably 20, 21, it would just, it would just grieve him. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It just grieves you. Finally, they were about the seventh or eighth hole, and he said, man, if, if that guy takes God's name in vain one more time, 
I, I just got to say something to him. He doesn't know I'm a pastor, but I got to tell him something. This is all going on in his head. Got slices a shot, goes way off. He starts cursing. Pastor Rick looks at him. He goes, sir, I, I'm sorry. I, I probably should have told y'all when we started, but, but I'm a pastor. And every time you take the name of Jesus in vain and every time you curse God, it grieves me. The guy's whole countenance changed. He never said anything else throughout the entire rest of the match. At the end of the 18th hole, they were grabbing everybody's their clubs and they were getting ready to leave and it was kind of quiet. Pastor Rick was grabbing his bag and headed off and the man said, son, hey son, come here. And he went, oh no, here it comes. And he called him off the side from where his friends were. He said, you said you're a preacher. He said, yes, sir. You said you were going to be a pro golfer, but you turned it away to be a preacher. He said, yes, sir. And he grabbed him by the shoulders. And he said, son, don't ever give that call up. When I was a young man, I felt just like you. And I turned away. And I've regretted it every day since. Listen to me. You never find your life till you lose it at the cross of Jesus Christ. And he becomes the Lord of your life. You never do. Your best plan is Paul Calm. I don't know what that means, but my wife says that. It's nothing. It's nothing compared to you finding God's purpose for your life. And you only find that when you make him Lord at the cross and you surrender every single thing to him. Look at me. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you surrendered everything to him? Or is there still this tug between you and mammon, you and your pride, you and everything else? Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. That in moments like this, you come and when you come, you do it because you love us. And that when your gospel is preached and your lordship is exalted, you remind us how foolish we are to try to take control of our life and how our best made plan is nothing compared to what you have for us. Today, we receive your word. Today, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, the authority of your word, the lordship, of your son, Jesus. And the power of the cross would be magnified in our lives today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, you wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, what is that? Well, my birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a junior high school.
that day the old Jacob died and a new one was spiritually raised from the dead. Christ came to live inside me. I began from that day on to know God and to pursue him and to become more like him every day of my life. He became my Lord. He was the boss. He was in charge. He was the ruler. He had the final say. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking but me, I'm going to count to three. And off the count of three, when I say three, if you've never prayed to be born again, it only happens once, just like the day you were born. Today, you want to be born again. Today, you want Jesus to become the Lord of your life. You want to repent and turn away from sin and turn to God. Then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand high and put it back down just so I'll know that I, you're asking me to pray for you to be born again today. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is an accident. Nothing, even the circumstances, all that led you to being here today, none is an accident. And now's your time. Your time to repent. Your time to be born again. Your time to know God. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. Lift it high. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Anywhere else? 11, 12, 13, 14. You can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these 14, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I don't know why I've waited so long. I want to come to the cross today. I want to know God. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Last time, 10 seconds. If that's you, I'm asking this time for you. Raise it and wave it at me. Wave it at me. If you haven't raised your hand, yes, I see your hand. Anywhere else? Wave it at me. Anywhere else? Yes, I see your hand back in the back. Yes, yes, yes. Now, church, let's pray out loud. Everyone that raised your hand, we're going to pray out loud with you this prayer to be born again today. Let's join them. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I bleed on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my father. Jesus is my savior. And I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.